Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings to you, our listeners. My name is Rogers Atwebembeire, and the director of the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. There are a number of religions today, cults, false religious groups that distort the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith, and at the heart of those teachings is the question of who Jesus is and what he has done. Whenever a group or a church tampers with the identity of Jesus, whether in his person or in his ministry, ultimately that church or that system cannot bring its followers to true salvation or to a guarantee of eternal life with God, which is why it is very important that we understand who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has said. We have been looking through some series that we have entitled, What Did Jesus Mean?, Notice, please, it is not entitled, What Did Jesus Say?, because that is very clear. We can look through the Bible, especially the New Testament, follow Jesus in his ministry, and we can see what he said. The problem is not, What did Jesus say? The problem is, What did Jesus mean by what he said? You will agree with me, no doubt, that Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived, who remains incomparably unique in a category of his own, a man who spoke by power and authority, a man who spoke great wisdom to the crowds that had him or followed him. Even the religious leaders of the day concurred with one another that no man had ever spoken like Jesus did. So clearly, he was a man who spoke powerfully. Nonetheless, He spoke some of those statements in the New Testament that you would consider controversial or bizarre or even weird to the extent that so many people have made lots of conclusions about who Jesus was based on their misunderstanding and misapplication of the sayings of Jesus. In some of those statements, Jesus spoke things that seemed to contradict with what you would call biblical Christianity, and they leave you wondering, did Jesus really say this? Did Jesus even mean that which we we claim he said? What did he mean in all of this? And you will notice that Jesus does not seem to give apology for whatever it is that he said, that when he spoke, he spoke firmly, He spoke courageously and never looked back and never cared whether his crowd thought he had spoken well or not. So what did Jesus really say and what did Jesus most importantly really, really mean? Today we look at another passage where Jesus is in conversation with a certain man and where Jesus says some statements that could be looked at as rude, as crude, as arrogant as uncaring. And this passage is what we find in Luke chapter 9, from verses 57 to around 60. Now listen to what the word of the Lord says. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. 
But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow! Powerful statements, powerful engagement, scaring conversation. Three men stand before Jesus. One says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, oh, oh, be very careful. Make sure you have counted the cost. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you still want to follow me? But Jesus turns to another man, the second one, and instead gives him the invitation. This man gives an excuse as to why he cannot go. And this very passage, this very part here is what I would like us to concentrate on for a moment. In verses 59 and 60, Jesus' engagement with this second man, Jesus says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. Now the question is, what did Jesus really mean by this statement? A man comes to you and he says, Jesus, I would like to follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. And you tell him to let the dead bury their dead? It doesn't even seem to make sense. How do dead people bury other dead people? Is he saying they are going to rise up from the dead and uh, as demons they are going to bury the dead father of this man? What's really going on in this passage? Well, for us to make sense of this passage well, we need to consider the broader context of what is going on here. Number one, as you look at the broader context of the passage, the title of this passage is The Cost of Following Jesus. So Jesus is talking about what it means to be a fervent, dedicated, effective, committed disciple. What does a life of following Jesus look like? What does walking with Jesus on a daily basis look like? And in this context, we understand here that this man who has been invited to come and follow Jesus is giving an excuse. He's saying, Jesus, allow me to first go and bury my father before I can follow you. Now again, we need to understand what that means. When this man says, let me first bury my father, is he saying his father just died? Well, the passage does not give us concrete details about what is happening at that moment, but there is that possibility, yes, that maybe a day or two this man had just lost his dad and at home they were preparing the funeral and it is logical that this man wants to conduct the burial of his dad before he can actually follow Jesus. But there is also another possibility that this man could have been saying, well, you see, my father is an old man, and maybe being an older son in the family, it is my responsibility to oversee his funeral when he dies. So essentially, this man could be saying, Jesus, I cannot follow you now. I will wait until my father dies. I bury him. Then I can dedicate myself for the work of the kingdom. 
Now, this could be two years, this could be five, this could be ten. We don't know. Depending on how long his old man would last, it would mean that if the old man didn't die for the next five years, this man was saying, Jesus, I cannot serve you, I cannot follow you, I cannot live for you for the next five years because I am still waiting for my father to die and I bury him before I come. Have you heard of people who postpone following Jesus simply because they have some deadlines to meet? Have you heard of people who, for instance, will say, ah, for me now I am not yet ready to be serious with these things of Christianity because I'm still busy, you see, I need to finish my education first, or I need to get married first, or you see, I need to first work and get something for my children. Oh, maybe I will consider following Jesus when I have retired at the age of 60. Different Christians have different reasons and different excuses as to why following Jesus at this moment in their lives is very costly. And this man is not any different. He has his explanation, his excuse, if you may, as to why he cannot follow Jesus here and now. It is possible that according to the Jewish burial ceremonies, that maybe truly this man's father had died, but Jewish burial ceremonies would take over a year before they were truly completed. Maybe this man is saying, give me one more year, and when I finish the funeral rituals and customs, I will follow you. And Jesus' response seems to be saying, Man, you do not understand what it is I am calling you for. Number one, I am calling you to come and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Do you understand what the kingdom is? Do you understand who it is that calls you to serve the kingdom? Because if you did understand those things, then you would understand the priority or the order of priority in which you are supposed to be doing things. Now is Jesus saying he's against the man burying his father? Certainly not. The rest of the testimony of scripture would tell you that Jesus was a loving man. Jesus was a caring man. If he could spare time even to attend funerals like that of Lazarus in John chapter 11, clearly you can see that Jesus is not against burials. Jesus is not against funerals. Jesus is not being insensitive or uncaring to the needs of uh, this man. But Jesus seems to be saying something else. Number one, Jesus is saying, you man, the excuse you are giving as valid as it may sound, the priority and urgency of serving me and proclaiming the kingdom is of much more importance than what it is you are talking about. But also, number two, Jesus seems to be saying that, look here, man, while you might have a father, you are not the only one in the family. Are you saying you, that other people in the family cannot bury your father? Only you must be there. Do you really have to be there for that funeral to take place? Can't you go on and proclaim the kingdom while the rest of the family members are doing this? And indeed, Jewish funerals were not a one-man show. This was a community event. This was a village event. So even if this man was not there, he could, the funeral would actually have gone on. So he seems to be giving a weak excuse that could actually, would have been overlooked and he would have attended to the urgent matters of following Jesus. But also number three, it, the context could suggest something else. 
that by Jesus saying let the dead bury their own dead he is actually talking about the relatives of this man who would have been unbelievers or non-followers of Jesus who in this case Jesus would rightly describe as those who are spiritually dead. So Jesus seems to be saying that there are so many people who live in your community, you man. And these people are spiritually dead. They are not my followers. And as long as they are there in your community, should your father die in the course of you following me, surely you have enough people to attend to the matters of burying the dead. After all, the dead are already in your community. Those who, yes, are still alive physically, but spiritually are dead, and they can do that job. So you are not short of people who can bury your father. And matters of the kingdom of God, in fact, matters of proclaiming life to those who are spiritually dead are of more importance, of greater priority, and call for urgency than the excuse that you have right now. It is also important that we understand that against the backdrop of this understanding, we should also consider what Jesus is saying about the cost of following him. That following Jesus is very costly as we even find in several other Bible passages. For instance, Jesus had earlier talked to his followers and he had said that birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head as he speaks to this man who comes with excitement and says, I want to follow you. What Jesus is saying to this man is, have you counted the cost? Do you know? Do you understand that following me will mean a huge price for you? That it might mean spending sleepless nights. It might mean being homeless. It might mean never earning a different salary. It might mean never getting married. It might mean you always being on the run every day of your life. It might mean you losing your friendship and your relationships with the family members. Do you understand that that is the cost of following me? Because when you follow Jesus without understanding what it means, Yours will be a comfortable and convenient Christianity. And when challenges and trials of this life come your way, you are going to find yourself in compromise or you are going to find when you have actually given up. In other words, Jesus is saying, you must follow me, yes, but you must understand what it will cost you so that you committedly come in and you come in with one mind without wavering. Which is why when he speaks to the third man in the same passage, he says no one who puts his hands on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. So if you are going to follow me, you are not just going to follow me urgently, you are not just going to follow me as a matter of priority, but you are also going to follow me as a one-way road. No compromise, no looking back, no wavering, no what if or whatever, you must come in wholeheartedly and you must follow me no matter where that road will lead. So at the heart of this passage is a highlighting of not only the priority of kingdom work but the cost that is involved in spreading the message of that kingdom. You remember where he said that if anyone must come after me, he must hate his father and mother, his sister and brother, he must deny even himself. He must daily carry his cross, not once in a while, and must follow me. 
Jesus describes the life of following him as one of carrying the cross. Now when you carry the cross, where does that lead you? It leads you to Gorogotha, where you get crucified. You do not carry it for other people to die on it. You carry it for yourself. That is what it looked like in the first century. That when you were made to carry your cross, you were not just carrying it as a symbol of faithfulness or commitment. You were carrying it as a symbol of death. It was one of a man on a one-way road going to Gorogotha in that forsaken place to die from there. And Jesus is saying, do you understand that that's what it means for you to follow me and to become my disciple? So if you are still having excuses, or if you still think you have some logical, credible reasons as to why you cannot follow me now, maybe you will never have a conducive time to follow me. Maybe there will never be a convenient, comfortable time when you can now say it's now okay for me to follow Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is saying, either you let go of what you have and follow me now, or actually you will never have an opportunity to follow me. When he called the disciples by the sea where they were catching fish, what do they do? We are told that they left their boats. They left the huge catch of fish that they had miraculously caught, and they went and followed Jesus. When he calls them, they do not say, ah, let's first take the fish home, then we will come back. You do not hear them saying, well, uh, we are going to sell them first, and then when we have gotten the profit, maybe we will even bring the money and we can use it for the work of the kingdom. They could have given that excuse, but no, it wouldn't hold for Jesus. Do you notice that the men who caught that miraculous catch of fish, they did not even eat them? They caught them, brought them by the bank of the sea, and they left them and went away and followed Jesus, never even tested them. Do you notice that when the two brothers, James and John, had been called, they did not say, well, you see, we were with our father in our boat, and you know he's an old man, can we please take him home and then we'll come and follow you? No, they leave the father behind, they leave the boat behind, they leave the miracle catch of the fish behind, and all to Jesus they surrender. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And that is what following Jesus is. That is what the gospel ultimately is about. That is the standard of those who follow Jesus. There is no way you can say I am going to follow Jesus, but I am going to follow him only when it is comfortable for me. And Jesus seems to be highlighting that fact especially as he talks to this second man who wants to go and wait for the death of his father, bury him, and then eventually come and follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you are coming, you are coming now. You are coming with everything you've got. You are coming in spite of everything you have, and you follow me. If you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom. But do you know? That as clear as this passage now sounds, there are many people who have taken advantage of this passage, who have misinterpreted it, who have misapplied it, and drawn conclusions like Jesus is arrogant, like Jesus was insensitive to the needs of the people around him, that Jesus was disrespectful. Some of them have concluded that demons can come back from the dead and bury people who die that that is why Jesus is saying, let the dead bury their dead. 
Others have even concluded that Jesus was crazy. How could he have expected dead people to rise from the dead and bury this old man when he had died? So what they end up with is a version of a Jesus who is crazy, who is arrogant, who is rude, who is shrewd, who is uncaring, who is insensitive. Does that sound to you like the Jesus we find in the New Testament? The one who fed the poor, the one who had lived in the company of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the one who cried when he came to Lazarus's grave in John chapter 11, the one who saw the widow's son from nine and stopped the people who were carrying the coffin and raised him back from the dead, the one who healed not just the Jews of his day, but even the Gentiles, like the centurion's servant. Does this sound to you like the Jesus who cried on his way to Calvary when he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing? Clearly, as you read your New Testament, you can only draw one conclusion. There is no caring man like Jesus is. There is no compassionate, loving, sensitive man like Jesus is. So whatever it is you are reading in this passage, it cannot arrive at the conclusion that Jesus was insensitive and disrespectful. If that is the conclusion you have drawn as an individual or as a church or as a religious group, there is no doubt whatsoever that your conclusions are wrong. Go back and understand the context of the passage. What did Jesus really mean? Jesus highlighted the priority and the urgency of spreading the good news of the kingdom. Jesus reminded this man of the cost of following Jesus, that following Jesus is pricey, it is not easy, it involves service, it involves sacrifice, it involves selflessness, and therefore it cannot just be about the needs, the desires, the pleasures, and the conveniences of the follower. But rather, coming to proclaim the kingdom of God must involve self-sacrifice and service. It must involve wholehearted dedication, and this dedication must go all the way. Do you see what Jesus meant? Do you see why Jesus calls this man to a higher standard of sacrifice and service? Because only those who serve sacrificially, only those who model Jesus' life of serving his father can serve a can serve effectively, can serve to the expectation of the core of the kingdom of God. May God bless you so much as you think through these passages, as you get enriched by the powerful sayings and statements of Jesus. And may you continue to be discerning and watchful that you will not be deceived by people who take the verses of the Bible out of context, misuse them and abuse them to their destruction. May God bless you abundantly. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.